This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is please at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belted radios and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Yes, your mad prophet of the airwaves has arrived. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Tuesday, April 26th in the year of our Lord, 2022. And happy birthday wishes to my lovely Greek bride, the mighty Aphrodite. She's 28 today. What do you mean? What are you looking at, Jacob? Yes, I robbed the cradle. Uh, anyone else noticing on Twitter? They're suddenly getting more impressions, more likes, more retweets, more followers. I've noticed, a, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed a bunch of people I used to follow, then they vanished, and now they've suddenly reappeared in my timeline. 
What a difference a day makes under the new administration of Elon Musk over there at Twitter. God bless him. The greatest victory for, for free speech in the 21st century thus far. Let's hope it's the first victory of many. Uh, this just in, Kamala Harris, triple jabbed, COVID positive. I'll just leave it right there. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so the Trudeau libs are busy congratulating themselves, slapping themselves in the back for calling an inquiry into the invocation of the Emergency Act. And they're pretending like they're being so transparent and they're doing it because this is the right thing to do and they're so noble. Except that the launching of a national inquiry is mandated under the Federal Emergency Act. The law says the inquiry or Public Order Emergency Commission, has to be struck 60 days after a declaration of a national emergency is revoked or expired. So there's no victory lap here. There's no self-congratulations for Gropey and his discredited, odious, and sinister band of grifters in cabinet. None. And, and they waited until the very last minute to file the order in council, which establishes the, uh, the commission of inquiry. Yesterday was the deadline. And they waited until the very end. And then Gropey appoints Ontario Court of Appeals Judge Paul S. Rouleau to lead the commission, a Trudeau appointee and apparently a liberal donor. So I think we all know this commission is going to be a complete whitewash. The fox is being asked to count the chickens. Now, Rouleau will have the power to compel testimony and and documents, but we all know Gropey and company will cry cabinet privilege and none of the documents will see the light of day because there is no transparency with this corrupt and criminal cabal. There is no justice. There is no rule of law. They do as they please. Instead, the inquiry will focus on the protesters and the convoy. Now, in a serious country, which we are not. In a serious country, the cabinet ministers like Mendocino and Blair would be on the witness stand under oath being asked serious questions. Like, why did you accuse truckers and protesters of being potential rapists when you had zero evidence? Why did you accuse truckers and protesters of being arsonists when it wasn't true? Why did you claim the protest was being funded by foreign groups when there was zero evidence? And there were claims of the groups in Ottawa The protesters had weapons. Zero evidence. Didn't happen. Why did you pile lie upon lie upon lie? The truth. The truth is there was never any justification for invoking the Emergency Act. Zero. And the guy who drafted the legislation, Perrin Beatty, then Solicitor General in the Mulroney government, he's recently come out and said he never in his wildest dreams imagined the Emergency Act, which replaced the War Measures Act, would ever be used during his lifetime. So here's a conservative MP, Raquel Danko, asking an important question to Bill Blair. I won't use the title Honorable Blair because he makes a mockery of that title. He's Minister of Emergency Preparedness. Actually, we have a a Minister of Emergency Preparedness on the program every Monday, Stefan Verstappen. Anyway, here is Raquel uh, Danko. Have a listen. 
Mr. Speaker, the Emergency Act is one of the most powerful laws in the land with an extremely high threshold needed to invoke it. And good thing, otherwise charter rights would be could be easily abused by governments. And that threshold is whether there is a national threat to public safety so serious that it cannot be addressed by any other law. And yet we well know that there are many existing laws that can address illegal blockades of critical infrastructure, Mr. Speaker, obviously. So maybe that's why the Liberals are hiding behind cabinet confidence and refusing to release documents just justifying their decision to use these powers because they know the threshold hasn't been met. Isn't that right, Mr. Speaker? There you go. Now, here's uh, the dishonorable Bill Blair's non-answer. The Honorable Minister of Emergency Preparedness. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. When this country was faced with very real threats to critical infrastructure, our vital supply lines, and the incredible disruption that was taking place right out here in the streets of Ottawa, our government did what was necessary and required to deal with that situation through the invocation of the Act. Mr. Speaker, and today I want to advise this House that today the government is fulfilling its statutory requirements in appointing uh, Justice uh, Paul Rouleau as the Commissioner of the of the Public uh, Inquiry into, into the circumstances of this Act. Mr. Speaker, we will do what is required and we will do it in the right way. Yeah. Killed on St. Paul. Mr. Speaker, that inquiry will be useless unless they waive cabinet confidence and allow Canadians to know the whole story. And really, the stakes couldn't be higher for Canadians, given that their charter rights uh, are at risk with this unprecedented, unprecedented invocation of the Emergencies Act. And to be clear, for Canadians at home, the emergency powers allow government to freeze your bank account, seize your assets, suspend your charter rights, all without due process. And that is why there's an extraordinarily high threshold needed to invoke it, Mr. Speaker. The Minister of Public Safety said today that he'll be upfront and transparent with Canadians. But if that's the case, why not waive cabinet confidence or are they hiding something, Mr. There you go. Good to see the Conservatives finally stepping up. Of course they're hiding something. There was no threat. The protesters didn't come close to meeting the threshold required to invoke the Emergencies Act. Didn't come within a thousand miles. And now we're learning the blockades at the border in Windsor and in southern Alberta. Both of those were removed, of course, without the need for a, an Emergency Act. But now we're learning they didn't cause any real disruption. Oh, we were told the blockades would spell disaster for our economy. Remember the headlines? Ambassador Bridge blockade stalled billions in trade. That was uh, the CBC. Border blockade likely to leave lasting impact. That's from the Windsor Star. U.S. Canada Brigade blockade, or sorry, U.S. Canada Bridge blockade risks huge economic damage. That's from the Guardian. None of that happened. Now we're learning trade was up. You heard me correctly. Trade was up during the period of the blockade by 16%. 16% in February compared to the same month last year. This is according to data from StatsCan. So once again, once again, more serious questions about Gropey's use of the EA. It's all crumbling. The EA was invoked, we're told, in part because of so-called threats to Canada's economic security. So another lie exposed. So what happened? What happened? Demonstrators blocked the uh, the Coots Alberta crossing and Canada Border Services directed commercial traffic to another crossing. This one in nearby uh, Carway and Del Bonita. Problem solved. No big deal. Same in Ontario where the Ambassador Bridge was blocked. 
truck traffic was diverted to other Ontario border crossings. So there was no real impact to the economy. In fact, trade was up 16%. And for this, for this, plus all of the other lies spun by Blair and Mendocino and Trudeau and Freeland, they invoked the EA. They froze bank accounts. They caused a run on the banks. They sullied Canada's reputation as a serious and stable country. Will any of this come up during Rouleau's commission of inquiry? I doubt it. White wash. Okay, uh, stick around. Another busy show for you today. My guy, Brandon, my producer, works hard for you. And for me, but he really does it for you. He could care less about me. He does it for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I hope you appreciate Brandon half as much as I do. Uh, Andrew Lawton will be here an hour too. He's just uh, announced he's moderating a debate among the candidates seeking the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. He'll be here with the details. And then switching over to provincial politics, uh, you need to be aware and be concerned because Spencer Fernando says the provincial liberals and NDP are open to striking a backroom coalition deal come next election. That could mean North America's harshest mandates and an endless cycles of big government control over your family and business. So as bad as it is at the federal level with this evil alliance between the communist NDP and the radical progressive socialist liberals. Imagine that happening at the provincial level. Spencer will be here an hour or two to discuss this potential dystopian nightmare. GOP Congressman Michael Waltz from Florida's 6th District will be here to talk about Florida's vote, Ron DeSantis' vote to uh, strip Disney and their company of groomers to, of its self-government. They had their own little fiefdom in Florida. We're just learning about the, to the, the extent. They had their own police, their own firefighters, huge tax credits. So that's all coming to an end, and deservedly so. It's delicious, and I love it. Get woke, go broke. Tuesdays, we offer tips and resources for homeschoolings with uh, homeschoolers with Ruth Gaskowski. Dr. Steve Turley will be here with a few words on the recent runoff elections in France. Uh, but first, Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph will be here to discuss that story I was just uh, ranting about earlier about trade actually being up this past Feb during the demonstrations uh, at the uh, Canada-U.S. border crossings. All right, the Richard Serracho off and running for Tuesday, April the 26th. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Well, golly gee, this is kind of embarrassing. Those uh, blockades at the border in February, Windsor and in Coots, Alberta, which were used uh, as justification for invoking the Emergency Act because they were seen as a threat to Canada's economic security. They had no impact on the economy. In fact, trade was up in February, 16% compared to the same time last year. So the, uh, the entire justification, the argument for invoking the Emergency Act is just crumbling bit by bit. Daniel Boardman is here to discuss, senior contributor at the National Telegraph. Hey, Daniel, welcome back. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting find to see that, yeah, it turns out, well, you would think it would hurt the economy and you can't have prolonged blockades. We get that. But it turns out uh, the people in trucks and companies figured out this amazing solution called just, yeah, go to a different one. 
Um, <laughs> it's so complicated, though, Daniel. How did they figure that out? Um, I think the use of supercomputers, Elon Musk set up Starlink, um, you know, uh, there was some time traveling gnomes involved, all very, very complicated things, but they figured out the idea that you could just go to a different border crossing. Now, did this cost an extra $20 in fuel per whatever? Sure, you, you know, um, that, but the other thing to be mentioned here is all the border blockades were cleared prior to the invocation of the Emergencies Act. The Emergencies Act uh, was only used to clear the people in Ottawa, which were not blockading anything. No. Um, and, and these were very separate movements. Like, but they were honking, and that's a threat to our economic security. So, um, Yeah, because as we know, uh, chief uh, scientist at the CBC, the most trusted name in news, uh, invented, sorry, discovered phantom honking, which mm. is a symptom uh, experienced <laughs> by the people in Ottawa. Uh, and we can only estimate the, the economic impact of phantom honking is at the... $45 trillion per day um, on the economy by oh, people just too traumatized to work from the phantom honking. Uh, and the other thing I, I put in there, it, it mentioned is, so the, the justification of we need to save the economy because the border blockades are so terrible, okay. But what we did in seizing people's financial assets caused more economic damage to Canada than all the borders being blockaded ever could because people with money in Canada who had the ability to take their money elsewhere said, yeah, if, if the bank can just take our money without a court order, I'm not holding it here in Canada anymore. So, you know, there's an estimated $1.4 trillion in capital left Canada in those few days the Emergencies Act uh, was enacted before revoked. We don't know how much has left since then. We don't know how many people have chosen just not to invest or pull out of uh, projects in Canada because I said, you know what, it's, you know, Canada has really high taxes, but you know what, it's a really safe country went from, you know what, Canada has really high taxes and it's a really volatile country for investment. So those two things uh, don't work well together for an investor's uh, perspective. So the economic uh, damage done in, you know, this year was primarily done by the Trudeau government, the Bank of Canada and the major banks who just went along with it. Uh, you know, it was like TD lost one point, you know, it was 8.6 or $9.6 billion in market share in those few days because they were just seizing people's assets. And that's, you know, the reason we put money in banks is we think banks are safe. And if you're like, oh, no, I donated to the truckers because, you know what, I support the end of vaccine passports and mandates. Well, now this is the government considers this domestic terrorism and will seize your assets. This is the same country where people have laundered millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars for the IRGC and the CCP um, live here and work with impunity. So there's also the uh, we, we who do who are we enforcing these laws on like random Canadians or money? Oh, it's an excellent point. It wasn't. I mean, we should have more blockades at the border and maybe our trade will go up another 16 percent. You know, whatever my general those generals are drinking or what, what was that line? Lincoln said to Grant, whatever he's drinking, give that to all my generals. Anyway, I yeah. botched that. But the point is. Uh, yeah, you're, and you raise a, a great one. The, the damage to the economy was not done by the protesters. It was done by the liberal cabinet and their their overzealous reaction to the uh, to the demonstration. Let me ask you quickly about the uh, the appointment of Ontario Court of Appeals Judge um, Arulo to uh, to head this uh, commission. Uh, it's he's a, a liberal appointee, a Trudeau appointee. He's a, a liberal donor, apparently. Uh, what do you think we're going to get out of this commission? A complete whitewash? Of course. I mean, I'm working on an article. Uh, there's so many things on the plate now, but that one's coming out. The working headline is 
uh, liberals appoint liberal to look into liberals for something liberals did. <laughs> um, something, something along those titles. It's, it's par for the course in Trudeau land. Um, when Trudeau says independent something, uh, he just means a leftist who's not directly affiliated with the liberal party. So it's independent senators like, oh, come on, give us a break. These are hardcore leftist activists that you're appointing. They're not independent. They're just, yes, not like, they were candidates beforehand. They were just like the ideologues. So uh, Justin Trudeau has appointed someone he's friendly with, who supports. Um, and I, I, I expect the judge will be looking a lot more into the backgrounds of like, oh, looks like one of the truckers in Ottawa had, um, you know, claims of you know domestic abuse back in 2014. And, you know, this is an emergency. Like we're going to find more stuff like that, like digging up uh, personal records of random truckers, then go into the sequence of events that led to the invocation of the Emergency Act. I wouldn't be surprised if there's outright lies. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't note the fact that the blockades were cleared prior to the invocation of the Emergency Act. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes along with the lie that guns were found at the Clouds border blockade, even though they were found not near it. So I think you will find that uh, the Liberals decide the Liberals did nothing wrong. Sadly, you are uh, correct, I fear. Uh, Daniel, always appreciate your insights. Please support independent media, thenationaltelegraph.com. Daniel, thank you as always. Thanks for having me. Thenationaltelegraph.com. All right, Dr. Steve Turley is uh, back and he'll be with us next to talk about France's recent presidential runoff election and YouTube's efforts to uh, bring Dr. Turley down. Stand by for that one. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. All right, welcome back. So Elon Musk has uh, rescued Twitter. Now we need to do something about YouTube. They are uh, equally uh, egregious in uh, their... Um, their willingness to cancel and demonetize and deplatform. And um, that's just happened recently to our good friend, Dr. Steve Turley, internationally recognized scholar, speaker, author, and uh, owner, a creator of the popular YouTube channel, Dr. Steve Turley, now approaching, well, 900,000 subscribers. Steve, welcome back. Christos Anesti. Oh, Alithos Anesti. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for having me back. So uh, what happened at YouTube? Um, was it one video in particular that uh, caused YouTube to de demonetize you or is it an accumulative uh, thing? What happened? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> that's the hard part. It's, it's hard to know because they won't tell you which videos are at issue. So, yeah, my channel got uh, completely demonetized and uh, we're not allowed to reapply for monetization until early May. And the technical reason we were given uh, was that we were told some of our videos violate their terms of service in terms of reused video, which I do all the time being a, a news and politics site. Uh, we're, we're replaying video from you get off Twitter or things like that all the time, but with, you know, of course, unique commentary, which seems to be perfectly in line with their terms of service. There were some are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Videos that we had up that were uh, that had no commentary and that were just uh, the actual IRL in real life uh, news event. So we got rid of all of those, which is too bad because they're they're very well watched. People really like them. We got rid of all of those. We got rid of some of the videos that we, we sought some counsel and and they recommended, well, maybe these are a couple of the videos that they would have a problem with. So it's really been very painful of having to, you know, you put all that work in to, to put up some videos and and then having to delete them. One of them had over what uh, almost three million views. So it was really, really hard to do. But there's just there's no actual person you get to contact. Uh, there's no real appeal process. You're really at the mercy of the A.I., so we have, you know, we've been very proactive. We've consulted. There's actually a YouTube lawyer, if you can believe it, who helps channels get remonetized. That's all he does. And um, so we've consulted him and he thinks we shouldn't have a problem uh, with uh, with getting remonetized in the next couple of weeks. But obviously, in the meantime, it's been obviously uh, very, very hurtful to us. Right. Well, people need to understand. Sorry, Steve. People need to understand that this is your job. I mean, you right. you, you resigned from your, your full time teaching position, uh, right? In order to take this on, so this is how you put food on the table, right? Yeah, for myself, we have over a dozen employees who who work for me here behind the scenes. They're amazing. They're incredible. They they enable me to just focus on you know doing the content research and content creation. And so, uh, so yeah, this is a strain on all of us. So um, it'll be good to to get remonetized. But yeah, we've been very disillusioned with the entire process. It's it's really a shame that uh, in this in these multi billion dollar Silicon Valley uh, big tech companies, they can't have even the slightest semblance of customer service. It's really sad. Uh, we're going to talk about France's runoff presidential elections in, in the next segment, but just in a few minutes that remain in this uh, segment, uh, your thoughts on Elon Musk uh, purchasing Twitter and taking it private? It's gigantic. I, I do. I think it's. I think it's huge. I think uh, Tucker Carlson of Fox News uh, said it right. Um, this is as uh, explosive of a development as November eighth, twenty sixteen, when Trump uh, beat Hillary. Uh, and may even have far more uh, longer lasting ramifications, because in many respects, Twitter was the go to instant communication network of the left. Um, Twitter was just definitely leans left since they were they were canceling everybody on the right. And uh, and now the left has lost Twitter. It's absolutely astonishing. And. And they did so because Musk effectively turned free speech into a multi-billion-dollar business model. Uh, the you know the stock prices of Twitter went up just the moment he started. It was announced that he he had bought uh, the uh, the most amount of shares of any shareholder. 
when he had nine, just a little above 9% of their stock. Uh, when he was joining the board, invited to do that, the stock went up. I mean, more than paid for his initial $3 billion investment. And then when it, word came out that he secured the funding for the $40-plus billion, the stock went up again. So he's shown that free speech is actually a multi-billion dollar venture uh, in terms of profits, all at the same time. All the woke corporations like Disney and, and Netflix and CNN Plus, they're all collapsing. So I think this new calculus that's emerged here has ramifications beyond our wildest dreams in terms of finally getting rid of woke cancel culture. Right. It's it's uh, it's delicious to watch. It's a great time to be <laughs> conservative. But it's interesting now, of course, the Dems are talking about now we need to regulate big tech. <laughs> now we need to do it. Right. All right. Yeah, we'll uh, exactly. Steve, we'll take a we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about the recent uh, presidential runoff election in France between Emmanuel Macron, the globalist versus the populist right wing candidate Marine Le Pen. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in a few moments, Ruth Gaskowski, our homeschooling advisor, will be here. Now, you've heard of free-range chickens, but there's something called free-range kids. And we'll talk about why a free-range child is absolutely essential to democracy. And a lot of these free-range children, you find them, uh, you'll find out, are being homeschooled. Ruth Gaskowski, the homeschool advisor. Right now, uh, Dr. Steve Turley stays with us. Check out his YouTube videos. If you're conservative and you are given to despair occasionally, you really need to go and check out his uh, uh, videos. Dr. Steve Turley, T-U-R-L-E-Y. It's one of the last things I do before I turn in at night. And I'm tired and I need a refresher and I need, I need a lift. And uh, you'll find it because he's uh, he's so positive and uh, uh, passionate that uh, a new conservative age is in fact rising, a post secular age. Uh, so, Steve, it brings us to the um, the issue of the globalist Emmanuel Macron uh, defeating uh, the conservative or the uh, populist right wing candidate Marine Le Pen, and uh, becoming the I guess the first president since Chirac back in two thousand and two to uh, be reelected. Some are some pundits are gleefully declaring this is the end of populism in Europe. Your thoughts? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just funny. Every time they say that, you know, then you have uh, someone like Viktor Orban rise up or something akin to that. Um, yeah. Well, of course, you know, we we always we wanted a different outcome. I we did. You know, I didn't. Th- most commentators thought Macron was going to win this. All the polls seem to suggest that the way uh, Charles de Gaulle set up the Fifth Republic um, is by by its nature, the uh, presidential elections are more or less rigged to make sure that the centrist candidate always wins and they keep the so-called fringe candidates on the fringe. And that's that's basically the way it's structured. Having said that, she did astonishingly. Uh, We have to keep in mind that back in 2002, when her father ran, Jean-Marie Le Pen, uh, he only got 18 percent of the vote in that election with Jacques Chirac. He didn't even break 20 percent. Then the next time a Le Pen ran, so that's Marine Le Pen, that's in 2017, she got 34 percent of the vote, which almost doubled her father's percentage in 15 years prior to that. And then as of this past Sunday, 
she got 42% of the vote, which again is an 8% increase. Were she to do that again in their next election in what, 2027, uh, she'd be at the 50-51% uh, if she got the same same increase. So this is why scholars like Matthew Goodwin, British scholar of uh, nationalist populist trends, Brexit, Trump, and the like, um, he, he's arguing that Le Pen is the future. There's just no way around it. Um, even when you look at the first round of voting, you know, so Canada's two rounds of vote, I'm sorry, uh, France does two rounds of voting there. Um, in their first round, uh, back in 1974, the nationalist populist candidate didn't even break 1%. Uh, and then in 1995, the nationalist populist candidate got 15%. In 2017, she, Marine Le Pen, got 20%. And then uh, four weeks ago, a com combination of Marine Le Pen and Eric Zamor, and there's another fellow as well, they got a combined 32%. Of the vote. That's one in three French voting, not for these milquetoast conservatives, you know, these what we call rhinos here in the States, Republicans in name only. I mean, these are real bona fide nationalist populist patriots who 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 have had it with the globalist system. Although so, Le Pen, uh, sorry, but uh, Le Pen kind of moved a little bit to the middle or maybe even the left on some economic issues, I guess, to to broaden the tent. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and that's been common. That's common. We're we're seeing that a bit too, even with the uh, the conservatives in Canada, um, and that's actually been an, a winning issue um, because the more the populist right shifts to the left on economics, the more it's able to be attractive, particularly to uh, the working class that have historically been labor voters over the but to the right on social issues at the same time. Exactly. And exactly. And, and they've been doing that in a way that the left has simply not been able to go right on the cultural and social issues. The left is totally left, whereas the right is straddling and then creating a, a new coalition. Uh, and that's what you got to do in order to have sort of a meta narrative. You've got to have you've got to have the two major wings sort of coming in under your your tent and it looks like they're doing it. So I, I think she's going to. And, and the other interesting thing with the election in France is the only voting bloc uh, that was super majority Macron were voters over the age of 60. <laughs> so huh. this is this is the total inversion of what you often hear, what's uh, known as um, the cultural, uh, uh, you know, backlash. Uh, yeah, exactly. Where where you get this sense that, oh, the only people who are ever going to be uh, voting for Trump and and, you know, uh, uh, Victor Orban or, or Matteo Savini, the, the only one who would vote for that are these guys, these old white fellows. They'll die out and all the young idealistic liberals will come up. It's actually the opposite. The younger people, particularly Gen Z, they're very disillusioned with globalism. They don't really buy as if anything, their love affair with socialism is a is a pushback against sort of the neoliberal neocon globalism that's out there. And when they when they see right wing candidates moving to the left a bit on economics while maintaining some semblance of identity and nation, culture, custom, tradition, it's becoming very, very attractive for Zers and millennials and the like. So the future appears to be Marine Le Pen. It didn't work out in 
2022, unfortunately, but uh, look out 2027. I just uh, have about 30 seconds here, Steve, but now the France has a general, more of a general election, I think in June when they elect their members of parliament, we would call them here. Uh, is is Macron cognizant that, you know, there, I mean, could there be a um, uh, more of a right wing uh, wave in their parliamentary elections and will Macron govern accordingly? Yeah, we'll have to see on the latter part of that. Macron has moved to the right significantly when it comes to particularly uh, Islam and uh, French Muslim issues and the the failure to assimilate. Um, National Rally has been doing its best at local levels. That's Marine Le Pen's party at local levels, local elections. And she herself is, a, as I understand, is a member of parliament as well. So, um, yeah, so we'll have to see um, thus far, again, if the trends are any indicator, uh, Macron's party and Marsh has been actually getting slaughtered in the local elections and the provincial elections. And so uh, we can expect, I think, to see France to go farther to the right. And uh, that will have to eventually pull Macron in that direction, at least to some extent as well. All right, Steve, good luck with your battle with YouTube. We're rooting for you. Godspeed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Richard. God bless you. Dr. Steve Turley on YouTube. And uh, Steve, uh, or uh, Turley Talks, Turley Talks, T-U-R-L-E-Y, TurleyTalks.com. All right, when we come back, Ruth Gaskowski, our homeschooler advisor. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Free-range chickens. They're good eating. No uh, GMO grain. They get uh, lots of exercise. They're not sitting in a cramped cage in the dark. That can't be healthy. So free-range chickens I get, but free-range children, well, I kind of have a, an idea what that's all about, but here to explain further what free-range cha- free children are and why they are essential to democracy is our homeschool advisor, Ruth Gaskowski, the founder of HumanitasFamily.net. Ruth, welcome back. How are you? Very good, Richard. Thanks for having me. All right. So I think I have an idea, but what exactly is a free-range child? It's not a chicken, as you said, (laughs) but it sounds like it. Well, um, it's similar to, I guess, a free-range chicken, but specifically what it means is it's a child that is allowed to engage freely in unstructured and unsupervised play. That kind of means the children themselves decide what and how to play, and they're free to modify the goals of the uh, game as they go along. They make their own decisions. They solve their own problems, and they create and they abide by the rules that they create. And what's interesting here is that uh, in playing in this way, it actually teaches them to get along with others as equals rather than as either obedient or rebellious subordinates. So this is a very important distinction from uh, games that are created for children or uh, that are kind of institutional games such as little league games or other kind of structured games where adults create the rules Mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't leave it up to the children and it's kind of like an external set of rules. Uh, Importantly, when the children create the rules, one of the things is that they can also choose to end the game. And the the chance to actually exit the game or quit the game allows them to try and make everybody 
kind of content enough to continue. And this is one of the immunization points against coercion, where you have to make sure that everybody is still happy enough to get along and to play along in order for the game to continue. Ah, so it also, I guess it teaches negotiating skills. Yeah, it uh, teaches how to settle conflicts, either through argument, negotiation, and, and through compromise. And as a result, children who have lots of practice in free play actually tend to be more empathic and also less narcissistic. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I mean, once upon a time, I think we were all free-range kids. I mean, you know, that old cliche about, you know, your parents would uh, send you out the, 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 the front door and don't come back until or make sure you come back before the lights, the streetlights come on. And then you, you, you roamed the, the neighborhood. You, you, you found maybe sometimes occasionally a little mischief to get into, but hopefully not too much, uh, you know, and you would uh, you'd make your own fun, as we used to say. That was unstructured play, or you'd pick, you know, an, in, an impromptu ball hockey game in the middle of the road. Uh, that's all gone by the wayside, much of it anyway. What happened to free range uh, or free play? What's interesting, actually, that you point this out is that most of the people who kind of grew up in this way, actually 68% of them in a poll said that they would like there to be a law that prohibits kids aged nine and under from playing at the park unsupervised, despite the fact that they actually grew up this way. So it's kind of a societal perception as this should not actually be happening. It looks dangerous. So I think uh, we've just been kind of uh, more and more obsessed with safety. Even though we've never been, childhood has never been safer. You know, when we look out, even on the playground, you see all these warning labels about all the harm that could befall a child if used unsafely. And kids on tricycles have kind of elaborate exoskeletons to move along. So we're safety obsessed. That's one of the issues. And the other issue is also uh, there's just simply no time. Children are so overscheduled between a full day at school and then kumon and ballet and jiu-jitsu and piano and homework, they are as uh, busy as executives and just as likely to have time to go out and romp and play. So we're safety obsessed and we just don't give them time. And these two things have contributed to just the, the demise of free play. Oh, it's such a shame. It's such a shame. I mean, is there a balance there to be struck between, do you think, between, well, there, there must be, between structured play and structured activities and free play? Sure. I, I think one of the things is obviously most children do attend school, there, so there's only so much of a day left over. But I think um, just not overscheduling them outside of school and just leaving them downtime to go outside and uh, find others at, uh, others at the park or also leaving the, the weekends free and just leaving them the freedom to play. So I, I do believe there can be structure and that allows us to maybe schedule a little less and maybe schedule free time for them. Right. I just thought of another skill. I don't think you touched on this, but, you know, in terms of organizing free play with, well, you don't, that sounds like a contradiction, but, you know, getting, getting their friends to contact their other friends. Maybe they want to play some ball hockey. They, they need, you know, five players aside. So now they've got to sort of organize this thing. Where are we going to meet? That's an important skill, I would say. Um, before time runs out, though, I got to ask you, how is free play essential to democracy? 
Yeah, it seems kind of uh, when I first came across this article that I'm referring to here, this is an article by Stephen Horwitz. I have the link to this uh, on my site and I encourage people to read it in full because it's a striking issue that I think has gone unnoticed. Uh, how does free play connect to democracy? Well, it's where we learn the skills that allow us to effectively cooperate rather than coerce. So it's really where we get the immunization against blindly following rules. It's where we learn what are fair rules and what keeps players engaged. And it also allows us to take risk. Uh, you know, with snowplow parenting, where all obstacles are removed and where everything always has to, everybody has to win and there's no feelings hurt. Uh, we lose a lot uh, in this kind of uh, parenting structure where there's no risk, but there's also no real freedom. So in creating kind of a society where we have no free play, um, we have citizens who either demand kind of freedom without responsibility or also where we restrict the freedom of everyone in the name of either safety or preventing negative feelings associated with failure. So I think the most important thing as parents that we can do in order to kind of maintain democracy and the foundation of classic liberalism is let the children run free and give them unsupervised time to play with others and just provide them with this essential free play with mixed age groups where there's just minimal adult supervision. And um, that's a foundational building, uh, building block to the democracy that we wish to continue. Fantastic. And again, the article by Stephen Horwitz, Cooperation Over Coercion, The Importance of Unsupervised Childhood Play for Democracy and Liberalism. And uh, that'll be posted at the website, humanitasfamily.net. That's humanitas, as in human, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S, humanitasfamily, all one word, dot net. All right, Ruth, we'll talk again next week. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Talk to you then, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Free-range children. All right. I wonder if they're good eating. No, don't go there, Sarah. Don't go there. All right. When we come back, well, Hour 2 awaits. Lots happening in Hour 2, including uh, Spencer Fernando will be here, creator of SpencerFernando.com and um, a campaign fellow with the National Citizens Coalition. He's coming with a warning that provincially the liberals and NDP uh, are open to striking a backroom coalition deal similar to the one at the federal level that could mean North America's harshest mandates and an endless cycle of big government control over your family and business. And uh, also, we'll speak with uh, U.S. Congressman um, from Florida, 
uh, Mike Waltz, Michael Waltz, Florida's 6th District. He'll be here to talk about uh, Florida's vote, DeSantis' uh, attempts to strip uh, Disney, Disney World, of its self-government. And uh, that's all coming up shortly, so don't go anywhere. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rings, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, that's uh, that's my job. I meddle with the primal forces of nature. Welcome to Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot. I gotta tell you, you're really missing out if you're tuning in late. However, still plenty of show to come. And uh, we're going to bonus you another great hour, as we do every day Monday to Friday. From 4 to 6 p.m. I think towards the very tail end of the program, my guys, Jacob Goldback and Brandon DuPont, my producer, technical producer, also co-host of The Swing, will uh, make an appearance and we'll, uh, we'll talk baseball, we'll talk some hockey. Brandon would, or uh, sorry, Jacob what, uh, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school. You you missed yesterday. You had really bad allergies. Yeah, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, Andrew Lawton from True North. Well, this is interesting news. He recently announced, Andrew Lawton that is, that he will be moderating. I think this is going to be the first debate amongst the leaders or the amongst the uh, candidates seeking the leadership of the, the uh, Conservative Party of Canada. It's happening at the end of May, but it's a, um, it's being sponsored or run by the independent press gallery. So no Rosie Barton, no bingo callers from global news asking about climate justice, real issues, real questions from the independent press gallery. This is exciting. And, uh, Andrew Lawton will be here with all the details. Uh, because, you know, that's what we want to hear from the conservative leaders. What is your stand on climate justice? Right. Uh, Spencer Fernando will be here. I really, uh, I love his work. 
spencerfernando.com. Be interesting. I, I'm going to ask Spencer his uh, take on Elon Musk as well, taking over Twitter. That's got to help Spencer. Uh, but we want to talk to Spencer about one of his uh, recent articles, how the or tweets anyway, uh, how the liberals and the NDP provincially here are talking about perhaps striking a backroom coalition, just the way, just in a similar fashion that the uh, the federal libs and NDP formed an unholy alliance. Imagine this dystopian nightmare. Provincially, the liberal and a liberal and NDP coalition. And Spencer is warning that this could mean North America's harshest mandates and an endless cycle of big government control over your family and business. Well, Del Duca, I mean, he, he, wants, he wants kids to wear masks forever. He wants a triple jab to be mandatory. And uh, the NDP... The crazy party, I call it. I mean, I can't even imagine how horrible, horrible things would be. I mean, we have a progressive, radical progressive party in power now. But imagine a liberal NDP coalition. My word. Uh, Right now, we are waiting on uh, the arrival of Congressman Michael Waltz. U.S. Congressman Michael Waltz represents Florida's 6th District. And uh, last Friday, Florida Governor, America's favorite governor, my favorite governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, signed a bill to dissolve the private government Walt Disney World controls on his property in the state. Think about that, a private government. They're like the Vatican. They have their own police force. Fire department. And of course, they get huge tax incentives. I think beginning around 1967 on on a a number of different properties. Well, that's all coming to an end in part to punish the the entertainment giant and their band of groomers for uh, opposing a new law that um, DeSantis passed, which prevents other groomers in school from talking to kindergartners, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds about sex. Anyone who wants to talk to a young child about sex is a groomer or a pedophile, full stop. And so the folks at Disney didn't like that. Well, at least the, the loud minority didn't like that. So now they're vowing to make, you know, set these quotas. Well, 50% of our characters in our animated films will be trans or, or they'll be lesbians or gays or whatever. So DeSantis has uh, taken it a step further to dissolve the private government of Walt Disney World. I love it. Uh, Michael Waltz is with us, a congressman representing the 6th District of the great state of Florida. Michael, welcome. How are you? Hey, thank you, uh- Good to be with you, and and great to represent the free state of Florida. Mm. I uh, I would love to get down there if I could, but as you know, many of us are prisoners in uh, in this country. We share that with uh, North Korea. We can't get on a plane, uh, otherwise you'd have I think uh, millions of Canadians heading your way. Um, so I, many people I think are are shocked to to learn to the extent that Walt Disney World had its own 
little fiefdom down there in Florida. To, can, can you kind of elaborate on that? Did they really have like their own police force? Well, when they, you know, when, when, when Mr. Disney, uh, uh, you know, really established and had his vision, um, which by the way, I think is, was far more wholesome, um, containing traditional values, uh, family oriented, uh, than, than certainly what we're seeing today from the Disney corporation. But when he originally had it, I mean, that part of Florida was, was really the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, uh, it was seen at the time as a way for, for very small rural local governments to avoid the cost of having, um, their own fire department, the police department, and, and, and really, you know, for very relatively small amounts of citizens to have to bear the cost of, of the infrastructure required for this massive, what turned out to be a massive theme park. That was the thinking then, obviously it's, it's greatly deviated. Uh, and I think Ron DeSantis is absolutely right that, you know, if, uh, if the Disney corporation wants to start wading into local politics that have been defined by the voters in a, in a freely elected legislature, uh, why are, you know, why is the Florida taxpayer going to continue to subsidize that? Uh, so I've heard some critics claim that this could cause, or not necessarily critics, but concerned individuals that this could cause Florida something like a billion dollars in tax revenue. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's what the, the, I think the critics are, are playing with some, some funny math there um, in the sense that the, the revenue that is actually going to be generated uh, from Disney paying its fair share of taxes, it's going to be quite the opposite. It's actually going to generate revenue for, for both of those counties. Ah, interesting. All right. So um, are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. 200,000 employees at Disney. That's not just, that's not Disney World. That's, I'm guessing, worldwide. That's the Disney Channel. And, and uh, how, many, how many employees actually in Florida do we know that work for Disney? Well, yeah, that 200,000 number is also their California, um, you know, their California footprint, their Florida footprint and all of, and all of their other businesses. Uh, and so I believe in that Orlando area, uh, it's sitting around 30,000. Okay. It's still substantial. It's big. Now, in the old days, when things were kind of normal, um, you know, shareholders uh, would say to the uh, the board of directors or the board of directors might say to the execs at Disney, like, shape up. Can't you see people don't want what you're offering here? But that doesn't seem to matter anymore. What's happening? 
Well, I think, you know, it's a confluence. That's a broader issue with what's going on with corporate America. Uh, they believe they can pander the left with a lot of this woke nonsense uh, and, and, and pad their balance sheet that way. But at the same time, they ignore uh, the ongoing genocide in China and self-censor themselves there uh, and manufacture there. Uh, and then they take Republicans and conservatives for granted when it comes to tax policy. So I, I firmly believe that the conservatives and the Republican Party need to be the party of the small business. Uh, the hell with these woke corporations. Good luck with the progressives with your 35, 40 percent tax rate uh, that they would they would move these corporations to if uh, if if we allow them. So they essentially take us for granted and then and, and pander to the left. Uh, and and enough is enough. We're going to call them out. And I'm certainly calling them out, calling them out when it comes to their hypocrisy to in in the Chinese Communist Party. You know, they want to boycott Major League Baseball in, in, uh, in Georgia over, over voting integrity. But then when it, when it comes to the absolute oppression that's going on with the Chinese Communist Party, they turn a blind eye. Exactly. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Congressman. I appreciate your time. I hope we'll talk again. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Michael Waltz is a U.S. congressman representing Florida's 6th District. All right. When we come back, the great Spencer Fernando will uh, warn us about a possible NDP liberal coalition in Ontario. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Coming up a little later this hour, Andrew Lawton will be here to tell us about the Independent Press Gallery sponsoring I'm not sure if this is the first um, debate among leadership hopefuls in the Conservative Party, but it's the end of May, so I'm guessing there may be something scheduled before then. I haven't heard, but it may be the first. Uh, And again, that is the Independent Press Gallery. So no Rosie Bartons, no bingo callers from Global News or CTV uh, asking ridiculous questions about climate justice. We'll get um, real questions that matter uh, talking about issues that really matter to to uh, most Canadians at the uh, conservative leadership debate happening at the end of May. Andrew Lawton will be the moderator. That's terrific news. He'll be here to tell us about that. Uh, so switching over to provincial politics now for a moment, Spencer Fernando, creator of SpencerFernando.com, campaign fellow at the National Citizens Coalition, warning, uh, or at least the, the National Citizens Coalition, warning uh, of a possible coalition between the Liberals and the NDP here in Ontario. And uh, how, how would you like that for a dystopian nightmare? Spencer, welcome back once again. How are you? Good. How about yourself? I'm well. So is this um, is this based on like a rumor mill or insiders saying that this is what this is going to happen? Or is it speculation? Or where, where does this come from, this idea of a possible Liberal NDP coalition? Well, I think a big part is the fact that the, the criticisms – against uh, opening up have been leveled have been similar between both the the NDP and the Liberals in Ontario and obviously in Canada just more broadly so the the Liberals and NDP still seem to be kind of stuck in the idea that the government has to be restricting people that we still you know need to consider possibly going back to lockdowns and mask mandates and they just don't really want to move on from the pandemic and they still want the government to take control so I think it's looking at that and seeing, obviously, we saw that the Liberals and NDP federally have a, a de facto coalition. You could call it a pact, uh, whatever it is. They're working together. 
And so it wouldn't at all be surprising to see the same thing happen in Ontario. And I mean, you, you look at, you know, the, the lack of honesty from Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau in the last election, they didn't run on, you know, a coalition or a pact, you know, they didn't say that was going to happen. Only after the fact did they do that. So it wouldn't be at all be a surprise to see uh, the, the NDP and Liberals do the same thing in Ontario. So, so let's try to imagine this dystopian nightmare and um, at, come June 2nd or June 3rd, I think the election's June 2nd, um, we have um, a, a minority situation or the, or the Liberals and the NDP could form a coalition and form uh, a, a majority, I guess, let's say. Um, what do you think, how would Ontario look like over the coming months and coming weeks and months after that? Well, I mean, obviously, I think you'd start seeing uh, if, if there was a spike in uh, COVID cases, you'd see, you know, uh, restrictions brought back, more mandates brought back. I mean, they've they've certainly, you know, hinted that that's what they support. I mean, the, the Ontario Liberal Party, of course, they're hypocrites. I mean, because they, they were criticizing the removal of restrictions and then their first big campaign event, nobody was wearing a mask, right? So mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot of hypocrisy there. But uh, I mean, and then, of course, on the fiscal side, I mean, you've, you've seen what's happened federally. Uh, the liberals just keep spending more and more money. The NDP pushes them to spend more and more. And so you'd see that in Ontario. Ontario is already one of, if not the most, it's one of the most indebted uh, subnational jurisdictions in the world. Yes. So that would be, <laughs> they would just add to that problem. And so, yeah, it would be terrible. And, and I think that the, the problem is that I think Canadians are really getting it, but I think the the NDP and Liberals certainly haven't figured out that problems caused by the government spending too much money and, you know, too much money being printed by the Bank of Canada. You can't solve those problems by increasing spending even more, right? Everything they see, oh, we're going to help people afford homes by giving out more money, or we're going to help people for the cost of living by giving out more money. At a certain point, you're just making the problem worse. And so I think, unfortunately, the Liberals and NDP, whether provincially, uh, in Ontario or federally, uh, they still haven't figured that out. Um, getting back to mandates and so forth for a moment, under a, a possible NDP liberal coalition here in Ontario, uh, do you see them reintroducing vaccine passports and maybe even, I think Del Duca has hinted at this, making a third jab uh, re- uh, mandatory for a vaccine passport? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. And you know, the reason, you know, I think many people believe that that could happen is we've seen how in many ways addicted certain politicians seem uh, to the sense of crisis, right? I mean, many studies show that when uh, citizens are afraid that they're willing to give up a lot of their freedom to the government. We saw that in Canada. You don't even need a study, you know, to figure that out. But uh, we've seen that people, yeah, they get they get scared and they want someone to fix things or make them feel secure. And some a politician comes by and says, oh, just give give your power to me and give your freedom to me and I'll take care of it for you. And unfortunately, a lot of people go along with that. And so I think, you know, for, especially for the liberals and the NDP, you know, they're both uh, very statist parties. You know, they see every problem has to be solved through the government. Uh, everything can be fixed if the government just has more control. So in some ways, they've kind of liked the fact that people have been afraid because people are less willing to push back. And so I think they're not happy to see that the public is, is becoming less afraid and is starting to want to move on and kind of look at uh, how much power we've given to the government. And so I think if they see an opportunity to form a coalition in Ontario and kind of keep the fear going and keep the government control going, I wouldn't at all be surprised if they took that opportunity.
I've got about 30 seconds and then I have to break and we'll come back and chat some more. Spencer Fernando is with us, spencerfernando.com. But uh, I haven't seen uh, polling lately. Uh, How likely is that to to come to pass that the Liberals and the NDP would be in a position to combine forces and, and form an alliance? Well, right now, it looks like the PCs are on track for a majority, but, you know, a flip of two or three percentage points, you know, in, in either of three ways uh, could affect the result. You know, if the PCs lose votes to the Liberals or NDP, uh, then there could be enough for them to form a coalition. And if the Liberals or NDP uh, are able to switch enough votes, you know, between themselves, right, if they get the, not, the right votes in the right area, then, you know, for their own interests, then they would uh, they'd be able to get enough seats, too. So it could be it could go either way. It could be a very big PC majority. And then three or four percentage points flip the other way, and it could be, you know, a PC minority and a possible liberal NDP coalition. So it's, it could be very close. All right. We'll take a quick time out, Spencer, come back and uh, chat some more. Spencer Fernando, campaign fellow at the National Citizens Coalition and founder of SpencerFernando.com. Back with more in a minute. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m. A few minutes remain with Spencer Fernando from the National Citizens Coalition and SpencerFernando.com. And you can read his terrific articles there, SpencerFernando.com. And coming up a little bit later, Andrew Lawton from True North will be here. We'll talk about, uh, he'll be moderating the Independent Press Gallery's uh, debate for the Conservative Party of Canada. And that's happening at the end of May. Uh, So right now we're talking about uh, a possible coalition between the provincial liberals and the NDP, a backroom coalition uh, that uh, Spencer is warning could mean North America's harshest mandates and an endless cycle of big government control over your family and business. I might say, Spencer, the the uh, the, the PCs are doing a, a pretty good job of that all on their own. Uh, I mean, even under the PCs, we were, um, you know, again, the harshest, um, we had the harshest mandates in North America. Um, we, um, we have a, a government in power that uh, is spending more. This is pre COVID than, than Kathleen Wynne. Uh, so our choices are horrible or miserable. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, it is is quite unfortunate. I mean, I've been extremely critical. Of the Ford government, especially with uh, their, uh, you know, lockdowns and, you know, mandates and, you know, as you say, some of the strictest in North America. And so obviously the entire political uh, culture and political class in Ontario has veered, you know, heavily towards, you know, statism and big government. And so it's an unfortunate situation where, yeah, your choices, they're not that good. Um, The only, I guess, benefit to the PCs 
is that they are at least to some extent influenced by um, you know some of their voters on the right who uh, are oppose restrictions and want more freedom of speech and freedom you know to speak out against what the government's doing and at least some of their MP MPPs are, are you know I would say have those ideas too even though they're very heavily suppressed so at least there's some chance to to move policy in a better direction uh, with you know the PCs winning uh, and it's unfortunate that that's kind of the only choice you know it, it is it's too bad but with the Liberals and NDP there'd be no hope of that I mean they they completely want more restrictions most of their uh, MPPs want more restrictions and they they love the government power. That comes with uh, the population being afraid. So it's, it's kind of the unfortunate reality there. All right. Well, uh, I shudder at the, uh, the prospect of a liberal NDP coalition for sure. Uh, let me ask you quickly about um, uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. I don't know to what extent you have been impacted on, on uh, Twitter with your account uh, being shadow banned or, or censored at all. Uh, but your, your, your general thoughts about Elon Musk taking over uh, Twitter. Well, I think it's very good news. Uh, you know, it's obviously censorship on Twitter and other platforms has been moving. You know, it's in a very uh, negative direction. You know, a lot of the people in charge there seem to see their job as policing. Not, not we're not talking about the law, but policing what they think is uh, politically correct, right? I mean, you understand every platform has to follow the law uh, in terms of you know hate, hate speech, obvious hate speech. You know, calling for death towards a certain group of people. You know, threats, but those are already crimes. Those are already things that are illegal, whether you say them online or in person. And so they've moved so far beyond that into saying, oh, well, this is politically incorrect. We saw in the U.S. election stories that they felt could be harmful uh, to a certain candidate were just blocked completely and you couldn't even share it. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, the story turned out to be true, but by then it's too late, right? The election's over. And so you shouldn't have anyone doing that, whether it's in favor of the left or in favor of the right. You know, It should be, you know, get your stories out there, freedom of speech, discuss, share your opinions. And, uh, you know, people will decide what they believe and what they support. And so I think it's good to see a free speech advocate who's going to be in charge of, you know, a massive platform that at its best should be a place for freedom of speech. So I think it's good to see. And the fact that so many people are apparently terrified by this tells you a lot about what their agenda is, right? If you're really afraid that you're going to not have as much power because people are allowed to speak freely, maybe take a second and consider what it is you're actually trying to push on people and why people would not support what you're doing if they could speak freely. Uh, in Along the same vein, uh, Spencer, and I, I, I've not had an opportunity to talk to you about this, but uh, the federal government's uh, bill uh, C-11 uh, to clamp down on uh, the internet and misinformation and, and uh, hurtful uh, content, as they call it. How is that going to affect you as, uh, as an independent uh, journalist and, and SpencerFernando.com? Yeah, it is quite concerning because, you know, what, what you see with the government is they will, they'll never make it obvious who their target is, right? They're never going to say, oh, well, we're really upset by the fact that, uh, you know, there's just more independent media that's criticizing us and that we can't control the media the way we wanted to by buying out all the uh, legacy outlets because this new independent media has sprung up and is growing. So they'll say, oh, it's about, you know, protecting Canadian content creators or, you know, making the big tech companies pay their fair share or fighting hate speech. Of course, they always have a good reason for it, but uh, it's no coincidence. And, you know, I think I would expect to see, you know, the liberals even push more in that direction when they see that Twitter is going to become more of a true free speech platform. So I think Canadians really need to wake up and realize that, you know, Justin Trudeau years ago, we know he said that he admired China's basic dictatorship. Uh, We know that he and the liberal government were really trying to move Canada more into China's orbit. Um, 
you know, they were even considering an extradition treaty with China, a free trade deal with China. And the only reason they pushed back is because public opinion in this country so severely turned against China that even even if you wanted to move the countries closer in terms of the relationship, you could just never get that passed uh, through what the public wanted. So, but I think that's the core, you know, his, his father was very much, uh, you know, in favor of, uh, you know, more government power in many cases. I think his, his father was a big fan of, you know, Fidel Castro and, uh, you know, China at the time, which was communist back then as well. And so I think that it's kind of deeply ingrained in him, kind of uh, thinking that more government power is always good and that freedom is somehow dangerous and individual freedom should be constrained by the state. And so when that kind of attitude is in, is in the mind of someone running a supposedly free and democratic country, and then you see them talk about, oh, the internet's dangerous and social media is dangerous and we need more government control, I think everybody should be pretty concerned by that. Indeed, we should. Spencer, as always, thank you so much for your time. Good to talk to you. Spencer Fernando, spencerfernando.com. Check it out. All right. Andrew Lawton from True North is next to tell us about an upcoming Conservative Party of Canada leadership debate, which he will be moderating. Stand by. Just having a little chinwag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Well, this is going to be refreshing. No Rosie Barton, no Kevin Newman, no bingo callers from Global News asking the conservative, uh, federal conservative party leadership hopefuls about climate justice and things like that. It's going to be run by the Independent Press Gallery, and it's, uh, I believe it'll be the first conservative party leadership debate happening at the end of May, and uh, the moderator is none other than Andrew Lawton from True North. Andrew, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm well, Richard. How are you? I'm terrific. This is exciting news. Is this, in fact, will this be the first leadership? Uh, no, deba- actually, at this point, it's going to be the last. Uh, really? there, there is going to be a Manning or a Canada Strong and Free Network debate uh, coming up on May 5th. Uh, the, or, there are also going to be two Conservative Party of Canada official debates taking place over the month of May. Uh, but we deliberately scheduled ours later on because we want to give the opportunity to really delve into some of the questions that weren't addressed at the main debates and, and really get the candidates to go off the talking points and address some things that are, are really important to conservative voters but might not have come up. Right. Okay. So is the, the, how does this work now? The Independent Press Gallery, um, who does that include aside from True North? Uh, basically, any independent journalist in Canada can join if they'd like. And we have a number of freelancers, people that work with other independent outlets like uh, Rebel and the Post Millennial and the Western Standard. But it's not a an explicitly conservative organization. We just have seen, I think, a lot of conservative media that have wanted to join. But uh, the the basically anyone who is not taking government money is invited to join. All right. So give us the particulars. Uh, where, when. So it's going to be May 30th in Toronto, and we're going to have uh, details about tickets coming very shortly. But the whole point is that we want to make sure that uh, people are actually able to uh, to see this uh, from wherever they are. So it's going to be available online as well. Online and uh, CPAC as well. Yeah, we're going to make it available. We, we don't know if CPAC is uh, going to be broadcasting it, but certainly the, the whole point is we're trying to showcase a lot of issues that independent media have been covering and, and paying attention to in this country, and the mainstream media hasn't. And I think it's a great opportunity for the candidates and also for the audience. Yes. Uh, how many candidates have uh, responded and will attend so far? 
So one of the challenges is that the official cutoff to be a, a candidate is on, I think it's April 29th or 30th. I, I can't remember which of them offhand. So we've extended invitations to any candidates who have declared, uh, but only those who are, are on the ballot as of May 30th will be allowed to be on. Uh, Jean Charest and Leslie Lewis have a confirmed participation as well as Mark Dalton. And we, we have invitations uh, that are pending to, to others that are just checking the schedule to confirm. But uh, we're hoping all are going to be there. Anyone that's ever complained about uh, legacy media and the way they cover uh, conservatives, I, I think very much has an interest in being at this event for independent media. Oh, 100%. So there are, uh, I, I believe, 11 that have uh, declared uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite, a, quite a packed field. And, and obviously, uh, to, to be on the ballot, you've got to raise $300,000 and get a number of signatures. So a lot of the ones who have declared are, are going to be off uh, and out of the race as of next week. But, but obviously, you, you don't want to put the card before the horse there. So we're giving all an opportunity who have uh, stepped up to, to join. But yeah, we're, it's not going to be the uh, like 2017 in the leadership race that had more people than you could count. I think they were up to 14 at one point. Right. And what's the how, what's the format? How is this going to run? Uh, all I can say on that one, and I hate leaving people hanging, but you'll have to stay tuned on that because we haven't announced that yet. But we'll uh, we'll make sure to give you the full walkthrough when we do. All right. And uh, in terms of the issues, um, how will those be decided? The, the topics that you will be addressing during the debate, how does that work? So we have a, um, I'm going to be moderating it. We also have a fantastic panel of independent journalists, uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Um, we have Rupa Subramania and also Derek Hildebrandt. And the we're going to come up with all the questions together. But but the what we're using to inform it is basically what are independent journalists and independent media and, and their audience, our their audiences, our audience is paying attention to that isn't in the mainstream media. So that's going to be the lens through which we're approaching the question of, of what topics we address in the debate. And will there be questions from, uh, will there be, re, um, you know, recorded remote questions? Can people submit questions, uh, questions from the, uh, the audience? Uh, we're, we're not doing questions from the audience. We've got three fantastic journalists and uh, myself, who's less fantastic, but I'll be there as well, uh, <laughs> that are going to be steering the discussion. So we're, we're going to be in, in that forum. We're going to be the ones asking. But we are open to the, the feedback ahead of time as well. I mean, the whole point is to challenge really the, the mainstream media's narrative and, and presumed, you know, oligopoly on ideas and on debate. So anything that comes our way will certainly be considered ahead of time. Okay. So again, how do we get more information uh, on tickets and um, um, is there a website? How can you, how can we yeah, find Yeah, it? the details are up at uh, independentpressgallery.ca. And when we have tickets available for purchase, that'll be up there as well. And you can also subscribe on Twitter for updates at uh, Independent PG is the uh, username. Okay, so Independent PG, that's on Twitter, at Independent PG. And then the website, independentpressgallery.com? .ca. .ca, my apologies. Independentpressgallery.ca. And this is happening May 30th here in Toronto. And uh, Andrew, congratulations. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll get Jacob Goldback and Brandon Dupont in here, and we'll uh, we'll uh, sort of unwind on a very busy Tuesday. Maybe talk some baseball, some hockey, and uh, we'll do that with the co-hosts of the Swing, heard here Mondays at three p.m. on Saga Nine Hundred and Sixty. Stay tuned. 
Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, last order of business. Let's talk some hockey, maybe a little baseball time permitting. Jacob Goldback and Brandon DuPont are the co-hosts of the wildly popular, critically acclaimed The Swing, heard here on Saga 960, Mondays at 3 p.m. Gentlemen, welcome. How's it going, Richard? Thanks, Richard. My pleasure. Very well, thanks. So, uh, tonight, the I guess we call it the penultimate game of the regular season, game 81 out of 82, against uh, the Red Wings. What's the point of this game? Is there a point to it at this point? I mean, what's at stake? Not really much uh, in the grand scheme of things. Not really much, I guess, for the Red Wings. Um, I just, I guess, a sense of pride to sort of, I guess, finish the season on a high. Um, they've, you know, kind of had a, a rough season themselves, but I guess it's it's understandable since they are uh, rebuilding. And, and um, obviously, I mean, I mean, who can blame uh, a franchise like the Red Wings uh, who have had a 20-plus year uh, playoff streak, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the Leafs, not really much. Their place is solidified and as, uh, as the number two in, in the Atlantic. So um, I guess it's just sort of... But they haven't officially clinched second, right? Uh, don't they need a, well, a point to, to clinch second? Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, hopefully, I would assume they get a, they get a point... Um, Got a point tonight, I would assume, against a, a lowly uh, Red Wings team. But uh, as we've mentioned before, we just never know with this team. It's Chuckle and High. All right. And uh, Jacob, what's at stake besides, you know, maybe nailing down second place? And how important is that? Well, it's important when you consider the, their track record of Game 7s and, and how it seemed like every time they went into a Game 7 against Boston into the TD Garden, it seemed like the game was always over right from the very get-go. So to be able to host a game seven, I know it didn't really, it didn't help them last year against Montreal, but it wasn't, you know, that there were no fans in the stands. So it wasn't that typical game seven home environment that you would want. I think it's a big deal when you're going up against a team like Tampa Bay to have that game seven at home. It, it, it goes a long way to have the home crowd on your side. Uh, for me tonight, I think the main thing I'm looking at is I just want Austin Matthews to get 60 goals at this point. He's been sitting on 58 now for five or six games, and he's had such an incredible season. It's been a remarkable run. Uh, To see him fall short of 60 would be, I think, disappointing not only for the fans, but would, you know, he'd be disappointed with that undoubtedly. So if he can finish off 60, maybe get two in the same game, maybe even a hat trick, I think that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. All right, and uh, Jacob Muzzin is uh, back in the lineup. This will be interesting to see how he performs heading into the playoffs, I guess, right? Yeah, Muzz has looked a little bit slow all year. He's been dealing on and off with multiple injuries. He's a guy, he's a really unique defender on this team in the sense that they've got a lot of guys like Riley and Sandine and Lilligren who are more puck moving guys, whereas Muzzin's are, are really solid in his own end and a bigger body, really physical. They have that kind of guy in Labushkin and, and Giordano can be that guy, but, but Muzzin's really the guy when you also think of how much playoff experience he had with, with the Los Angeles Kings, he's a pretty important part of this decor when he's moving and when he's healthy so it'll be interesting to see over these final couple of games if he's able to get back to that form that he that he can normally play to. 
And what is, uh, in Brandon, in your mind, what does Campbell have to do over the next, I don't know if he's starting in the, in the final game as well, what does he need to do to prepare for the playoffs? Because this is not the Jack Campbell from the, the first, the, you know, the Vezina contender from the first start of the season. Yeah, no, uh, definitely not the uh, the all-star that was uh, selected at all. Um, yeah, no, I just, uh, I think it just, I, I guess I would assume just a lack of confidence. And I know how hard he, he gets upon himself. Uh, when he has uh, bad games, um, I mean it's it's evident whenever there's a the post post match scrum, um, he's always the first one to to be on top of himself. And I mean, it's a it's a in this situation, Shalgren is in the perfect perfect position um, where he currently is. He's in, in great run of form, and uh, in my mind, would be the perfect guy i'm maybe not perfect guy because he is so young and then lacking that playoff experience that campbell uh does have um but in these last two games build up some confidence because you never know when your name is going to be called to be honest i i would assume that shalgren would get the start in 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 the opening playoff series um remains to be seen i don't know maybe keith has some other ideas in mind it would be my for me i would put shalgren in net for really game one really yeah, I you would. Disagree, Jacob. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised by that. Jacob, what do you what do you think? Shalgren? I just wonder why. I mean, it's not like Shalgren, like like Shalgren has had some good games, but mm-hmm. it's not like he's come in and he's put up these remarkable. No. He's got an 886 save percentage, Brandon. Like he's been no. fine. Hey, I I get it, I get it, but I feel like they. I mean, since he came in, I feel like the team is more willing to. Uh, to protect him and play well in front of him. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like they, and not that they feel bad. He's, he's, a, he's a young kid, but I'm just saying uh, like at the beginning when they were working to get his first shutout and then working to keep the little streak that he had alive. I don't know. I just feel like he, he has something special. That's uh, that sort of magic. Whenever the playoffs come around where you can, it's a it's playoffs. How far can your goalie get you? How far can your defense get you? Defense wins championships, and if your goalie can spark some magic, as uh, uh, Corpasalo did against the Leafs not too long ago, another young goaltender, uh, just to name as an example. Um, when the magic comes, the magic comes, and hopefully it'll be for the opening playoff series with uh, Shalgren against maybe uh-huh. most likely the Lightning. I don't know. You guys, I don't know I, that's fine. Well, but I, if I, Campbell goes in then I, I don't want to hear no complaints. <laughs> well, I don't think there's much to choose between them, but I would say <laughs> I don't know that I would use Magic and Shelgren in the same sentence. <laughs> uh, you might be right. You're going on a hunch. You got it. Sometimes yeah. you got to go no, on. No, no, it's simply a hunch. Yes, absolutely. I'm not going off stats. I understand his save percentage is, is not the greatest, um, but I mean, he is picking up wins, um, does have a winning record. So, I mean, uh, as of the moment, and Campbell is not, been the goalie as you mentioned not been that type of goalie like if if i was to ask you do you feel confident in campbell i would assume no no, no. yeah nor so, do i feel comfortable with uh, or confident in yeah. yeah so it's i mean you you who knows you're probably going to see both of them to be honest you're probably going to see both of them in this series interesting uh, psychologically how is that going to play on on jack campbell that he's he's not the starting goalie going into the playoffs jacob we got about 30 seconds here well, if that is the case, if he isn't 
starting. I, I think it'll absolutely mess with him considering that he's been the guy all year long. But again, I just, I don't see that happening at all. I think he's been the much better goalie despite his struggles of late. I think he's been absolutely the much better goalie. And I don't think there's even a debate as to which one's starting, but we'll see. We will see Sheldon Keefe. He, he changes with the lines a lot. He likes to mess with the lines. So I wouldn't put it past him, but ultimately I would be shocked if it was not Jack Campbell in that for game one. All right, gentlemen, both. Thank you. Jacob, Jacob Goldbag, Brandon DePond, co-hosts of the swing heard Mondays at 3 PM right here on song. It is Mondays, right? Okay, good. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, and Declan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing. Be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.